Hello and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm joined by Ben Castle. So some major Jazz Junctions coming up. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to episode two of series three of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. Now, I'm straight down to business again today. I've got sax player, clarinet player, composer, arranger, producer, artistic director, winner of music awards and reed player to many musical legends. It can only be Ben Castle. Hello, Ben. How are you? Hello, Chris. I am very well. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's a delight that you're joining us. Whereabouts in the world are you? I am in Dublin. Ah, well, you, this makes you officially our first foreign correspondent. Oh, wow. Well, that, that's good. An international flavour. Indeed. <laughs> and what, what's it like being a member of the EU? Oh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I've heard too. Um, except for um, if I need any furniture bringing over or um, anything like that. If I need to go to the UK, then it's a pain. But it's lovely being here. Oh, I bet. Dublin is a fair city. Um, so how is lockdown there? I mean, what, what's sort of happening? Are you, like we are here, not going out or is it a bit Pretty much. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of not going out um, happening. Um, but yes, I, I think we have, were locked down a bit before um, you in the UK. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we're definitely getting used to it now. Yeah, it's a sad truth, isn't it, that we're all getting used to something that just we shouldn't be getting used to. But hey ho. Um, so listen, the way these things normally go, I sort of ask you a little bit about your journey, um, and very often people go right back to the beginning, which would be lovely. So sort of how did you get into jazz? I'm presuming it was something fairly familial. Um, absolutely. Well, there was always jazz around the house. Um, my dad used to, well, my parents actually listened a lot to Frank Sinatra. Yeah. And my dad, in fact, I remember um, one turning point was uh, discovering my dad's uh, Clifford Brown record collection. Nice. Um, yeah. And so, um, uh, yeah, he, ha- he had a lot of jazz records. Uh, and so I, I got obsessed with those, really. Yeah. Uh, when I was, I think, was I, I was 12, he took me to Ronnie Scott's to see Buddy Rich. Big what? Band. That's I not know. a bad first gig. No, no. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm very happy with that. And uh, and he knew Buddy a bit. There's a there's a famous uh, clip that's been going around the internet recently of um, Buddy Rich playing drums on my dad's hand on the Parkinson show. That's extraordinary. And, yeah. We should probably just stop there a second, just for people who may not know Ben um, and who Ben's father is. So Ben's dad uh, was the wonderful entertainer but in my mind trumpeter uh, as well as television personality and all round just wonderful man uh, Roy Castle um, and uh, yeah Roy Roy really could play the trumpet but uh, there is this fantastic clip that Ben's just referencing and it's got possibly the, the the sickest cameo I've ever seen as an extra guest so you've got Buddy Rich and your dad and then what happens? Well so uh, dad was told to keep Buddy uh, occupied so it was in the days of live television um, right. because Sammy Davis had rung the show and said, can I come and surprise my good friend, Buddy Rich? And and so he was running late. So dad, just at the last minute, was said, look, can you occupy Buddy? Um, give him something to, 
to think about. And, um, and so, yeah, it was completely spontaneous. And, um, and then they were in the middle of this, this thing, they started tap dancing together. And then, um, um, Sammy Davis walks down the stairs and, and then this impromptu routine, um, comes about. And luckily there, there happened to be, because dad had been tap dancing earlier, there was a big uh, tap dancing platform there. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people were commenting on it saying that they thought it was staged and it does look staged, but I can assure you it actually wasn't. No, it's a wonderful clip. Check it out on, on, on YouTube, right? Yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube and Facebook. It's it's been doing the rounds and and Twitter, in fact. That's where that's where it went mad recently because it's been doing the rounds for a long time. And then all of a sudden, it was so weird seeing my dad's name trending. Or uh, yeah, um, yeah, I saw it. It's on Twitter. I'm like, what? Yeah, I know. It was it was mad. Um, I was supposed to be getting on with a load of work that night, and um, and but yeah, just the amount of comments. It was amazing. And I, I only found out that you only have a certain amount of uh, likes you can do in, in one night. I think you can only do a thousand likes a day. And I ran out of my uh, limit. Um, wow. So because so many lovely comments um, were coming at me from that. So, uh, yeah, it was it was it was lovely. And I think he would have found it very amusing all these well, years later. Absolutely. Well, the enduring appeal, right, of great entertainment. Absolutely. Um, so you yeah. were obviously in a in a musical household. Do you, do you have brothers and sisters and whatnot? Or yes, just you? I am All the right. youngest of four. I, I have one brother and two sisters. Right. And they uh, they all played. Uh, they all play. My my brother plays trombone. One of my sisters plays trumpet and piano. The other sister op- opted not to play so much. And um, but yeah, so we we often did gigs as as family. A, bra- a brass section. We were a brass section for hire. The castles. Oh, I love uh, it. Yeah, I, I learned a lot from from doing that, especially being the youngest yeah, and yeah. learning learning from dad and and the other siblings. So you sort of came through, and you were on the clarinet and all the saxophone, I presume. That's right. Yeah. And you hit your teen years, and and so what happens? At what point do you decide this is it, this is what I, this is what Ben's life is going to be about? Or was it too, you know, you're just experimenting with stuff at that age? What was the sort of direction? Well, to begin with, I didn't enjoy playing music. When I was at, um, at school and learning, I didn't understand what music was and why I was having to play these boring tunes out of a book. Um, yeah. And so I asked my dad if I could give up. And luckily... He he said he said I'll let you give up if you really really want to, but you'll thank me later in life if uh, I encourage you to, to to keep with it. And and around about the same time, he wrote out a couple of tunes that I would that I recognised. Uh, the Pink Panther he wrote for me, and the theme tune from the A Team. And <laughs> oh yeah. So I think that Mike Post. It was it was Mike Post indeed. So then I could relate to what the music was. I, I suddenly realised, oh okay. So if I play this tune, that's that's the same as the TV theme, and and then later, I, I suppose when I was about twelve, he wrote the sax solo from your latest trick, the Dire Straits track, for me. He, yeah. or, or he did write it for me in an easier key than uh, than it's actually in. But um, and and from from that point on, I I just became obsessed with music, and I, I 
found it difficult to set my mind to anything else because that was all I was thinking about, really. So, I mean, I remember, and I, I think we're roughly the same age, in our late 20s, um, <laughs> I remember seeing you, at least I think it was you, on, a, on, on TV doing exciting things with your saxophone. And I think at a relatively early age, I'm going to guess, I have no idea, but let's just say you're about 15, you are properly moving around the instrument. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is, uh, this is definitely a future jazz musician in the making. Um, you had sort of exposure to sort of crazy worlds early on, I guess. I, I did, and I, I got to perform in front of big crowds of people from an early age and play on television, which definitely cured me of nerves really um just yeah going out there dad would get me to do little comedy routines and then play the clarinet from the age of nine I was I was joining him on gigs I'm not saying that I was um stage worthy at that stage but um but it was it was a great experience to to do that mm. made a few appearances with him on television and then after he died I, I did one or two bits and pieces but I do remember there was there was one with dad with Bruce Forsyth on his guest night Bruce invited me to go onto the show after dad became ill and we left it that if dad was well enough then he'd come and join us and if if he wasn't well enough then it, we'd just do uh, the two of us and yeah. um, and so so we learned this routine and we had two different versions one if dad was able to make it and one if he wasn't. The the thing is, it was in the days when those TV shows had big live bands. And I was I was coming out front, but all my heroes were in the band. So I I wasn't nervous about the TV cameras, the people watching at home, Bruce Forsyth, or any any of that side of things. It was the it was Mark Nightingale and Dave Bishop and all the people behind me in the yeah. in the band. Who who are now all good mates of mine? We laugh about that day, but uh, yeah, I, I I just wanted them to not disown me for the notes I was playing. Yeah, it was it was a it was a, a, a funny day. Funny enough, uh, Camilla George was saying something similar when she one of her first gigs she watched Jazz Jamaica, uh, one of Carrie Crosby's band, and within a relatively short space of time from picking up the instrument, she was then actually asked to play in Jazz Jamaica, and she was saying that sort of intimidating nature of standing up beside people that you respect massively mm. and the pressure that adds. And it's all, of course, in your head. Yeah, I'd, I would properly feel the same if I was standing in front of the people I really looked up to. Absolutely. Well, it, uh, it happens to me a lot. And and I, I don't stop um, being fans of these people. It's, 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 it's really strange because I'll, I'll be on stage thinking, wow, if the 12-year-old if the me could see me now uh, they, they go nuts but then you're in the moment at the time and and you don't quite see it like that but it is it is funny looking back to um what you would have thought at, the, at that age yeah. so did you then sort of toddle off to college or did you hit a sort of professional circuit early doors what was yeah what, well what, I, what was your progress i left i left school a year early which if you're from suffolk would have mean meant you were 11 i'm sorry <laughs> okay. i'm sorry people from suffolk only because i'm from suffolk i can say that yes yeah, so uh, so i left school I, I took a year out and practiced like mad um i yeah i was practicing eight or nine hours a day for uh, for that wow. year and I, I auditioned for the Guildhall classical course and I, I didn't get in. 
And so I I knocked on the door of the jazz course, which at the time was only a postgrad course. So um, and they told me that I was too young to do it. Uh, but I said, look, would you just give me an audition anyway? And and they did. And I didn't get in. But then somebody pulled out a week before the course started and they rang me up and said, you're in. So I, I did the one year postgrad course and it was it was fantastic. I, I had I had great teachers. I had Stan Saltzman, Jean Toussaint and Don Rendell as sax oh, Don't get much better than that. Exactly. And I had amazing lessons from Pete Churchill about harmony and songwriting. And and I'm still filtering it now, all those uh, years on. Amazing. Yeah, it was it was brilliant year. Uh, it was very intense, but great. Uh, and and I enjoyed getting my studies over and done with in a year. Yeah, oh, I bet. And then and then the rest, that, as they say, is history. Absolutely. I want to ask you about your influences. So I've been listening to um, your albums. Uh, we, what have we got? Blast Street, uh, Four from the Madding Crowd, I think are probably your, yes. your most famous ones. Um, and Four from the Madding Crowd has to be one of my favourite album titles ever. It is genius. <laughs> um, but as well, I was uh, listening on Bandcamp, um, actually only this morning, uh, to your awesome EP, Over the Moon, by the Tombola Theory. And oh, yeah. Sort of trying to make sense. I know they're over quite a long period of time, um, but trying to make sense of your musical brain, I guess. Because I could hear, and you'll go, what? But I could hear sort of Neil Innes, Simeon, Trad Jazz, Bebop, Horace Silver, Swing. You know, it's all in there somehow, depending on how you're listening to it. And I just really wanted to know your influences. How, who, who have you listened to and sort of think about when you're actually writing and playing? Well, it's it's absolutely vast because uh, I love so many types of music and I I tend to uh, with my own records I tend to do the things I'm not currently allowed to do in all the other bands I'm playing with um, and so Blast Street which is an album that a lot of people find a bit mad particularly as I was going around playing in clubs doing all the the standards repertoire um kind of the 1940s 50s 60s music and so all of a sudden to come out with sort of electronica jazz um i was i was definitely shunned by uh um in a in a you know in a fun fun way yeah yeah and that's got that fantastic song on it the hustler oh the the heckler the heckler the heckler not Heckler, the stalker. Yeah. Well, I mean, the stalker's great as well, actually. But yeah, both great tracks. Well, I that was the most fun I had recording an album ever. Um, that that record, and I'm actually it, it's been a long time since I've done a, a Ben Castle record, uh, but I am am just about to release a, a, a kind of follow up to that record. Wow! But which which was actually recorded. At pretty much the same time as Blast Street, which is nearly eighteen years ago. Wow! Um, but but things got in the way, and 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 then it sort of gets put on the shelf. And um, but we've been revisiting the tracks, and we're we're very excited. We're going to do an EP um, sometime this year. Uh, we're just we're just doing the finishing touches, and there's there's definitely some unexpected moments in there and i live for unexpected moments really nice philosophy of life 
Well, exactly. Um, and I've I've always gone for for what I want to do. I I suppose I I make records that I would want to listen to, and I make uh, I I try and make records that haven't been made before. I don't I I wouldn't see the point necessarily of doing a standards record with a with a jazz quartet. Um, yeah. Although I'd, I'd I'd love to do that, but I think there's so many people have done that beautifully and. Yeah. Um, I, I I would personally pick a Stan Getz record off the shelf rather than my record of playing the same tunes. I think you know, but most people would, right? They'd uh, yes, they're a bit turned to Stan. I mean, but, I mean, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I I mean, I, I literally, this isn't a like a setup question. And I'm probably wrong, but I could imagine you when you were younger listening to quite a lot of funk and and some pretty hard bop as well. But actually, on your interpretation and your tracks. You can hear the influence, but there's nothing that's sort of out-and-out out funk. There's nothing that's out-and-out out bop. It all sort of merges to make something which is just new. And I think that's uh, I think that's a mark, potentially, of what you're, you're saying, that you want to listen to it, but you also don't want to do what others have done before. Is that a sort of a right assertion? Yeah, or? It, it is. I, I, I don't want to do something new just for the sake of doing it, which is possibly why I haven't done a huge amount of, of records. But as as the mood strikes me, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to just be different for the sake of being different or wacky for the sake of being wacky. Mm. It's it's um, doing something that means a lot to me, whether that's from a humour point of view mm. or from or from a musical point of view or a mixture of everything. I, I, I tend to put everything into the big mixing pot and see what comes out. So at that point, Ben... <sighs> I'm always interested in this. So you strike me as a genial type of fellow. That, you know, you've got a, a sparkle in your eye and, and I want to sort of sit down and have a pint with you. But sadly, we're, over, we're on Zoom. And so we won't be able to crack our no doubt hilarious jokes at each other. But when you are looking to the humour in life, when you play or write a ballad and when you're looking perhaps to the more bittersweet moments, how do you find those two worlds collide? Because there is a real seriousness to some of the tracks as well, I think. Yeah, um, it's not all like ha ha. There's not always a pun there, and I think that's a hard thing to combine. And you can often be judged as being one or the other, or a bit too light-hearted. But I think you, I mean, it's for others to judge. But I think you pull it off really, really nicely. There's a balance in life. Oh well, that's that's very kind of you. Thank you. Well, I I find um, I, it's it's a strange thing. I noticed uh, it was a completely subconscious thing. When I write music, I, I I get the balance of, for want of better terms, good and evil, or you know, or light and dark, or happy and sad, because I think there's there's a lot of melancholy in humour, and a lot of humour is a way of, of it's almost therapy, really, and and as can music be, and and I think I I try I try and have both going at the same time, and or certainly the the balance where where I don't let it go too far one way or another. I, I don't want, I wouldn't want to have musical jokes. Humour is very much part of my life. Not saying I'm funny, but I love humour. So so when I'm not listening to music, I'm often listening to comedy records or uh, watching old uh, comedy shows. So, and, and actually I, I did a week of uh, Ronnie Scott's opposite Joe Zawinul. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's an early weather report reference. Absolutely, yeah. It. Well, but but that so so just sort of going back just a little bit, I grew up listening to prog rock 
and jazz. But more more on the sort of bluesy rock. I, I was a huge, huge fan of Deep Purple. Um, right. And I think I think it was the Hammond organ of John Lord, who himself was a big jazz fan. Um, yeah. And a great jazz player. And then and Ian Pace, the drummer, was very much in the Buddy Rich vein, even though he was playing rock, he was hugely influenced by Buddy Rich. So it's interesting, it all, it, it ties in. But yeah, so there was all these influences, but Weather Report kind of um, were in both camps for me. There was the jazz and the prog rock going hand in hand. So I listened to a lot to Weather Report. So it was a huge, amazing honor to play opposite Joe Zavanel for a week. And in the old days at Ronnie Scott's, it would be the support band, then the main act, then the support band, then the main act again. So yeah. the main act would kind of have to listen to you whether they liked it or not. <laughs> and and he listened every night. He would always comment and because I knew that he was quite outspoken about most modern music. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was a bit nervous that he would be disparaging but every night he came up to me and, and was very, very complimentary. And in fact, he asked me if he could record one of my songs, the heckler that you mentioned. Um, but sadly, he, he died before he uh, had the opportunity. But anyway, he, he said to me words to the effect of that he loved that there was humour in my music. He said, there's been no humour in jazz since Cannonball Adderley. And it is all something beat. That we, have you got a beat machine? yeah yeah yes it's all and uh yeah so so it was interesting that he commented on the the humor humor does have a place i i once took part in a documentary um a radio documentary about the uh similarities between jazz and comedy go on i well i i i think and i've thought about it a lot and i think the the key to both of them is surprise you hear a phrase that you weren't expecting and that's when people in the audience go, yeah, or or nod their heads profusely. Uh, sorry, I was just caught up by the way I said profusely there. We, we all were. Just, I didn't, I couldn't leave that hanging in the air and it really, um, really took away from what I was trying to say. Um, but you get the general idea. I get very much the general idea. I think, I think we're onto something um, that I want to discuss in the future about the relationship between comedy and jazz, and perhaps uh, we'll get you back on to have a think about it. When you were touching on the melancholy, and possibly even a bit of the pathos, Tommy Tootle Truman, oh, yeah. you have put together uh, a wonderful EP. Sorry, I can't remember the title of it. It's like the moon. Over, over, over the moon. Over yeah. the moon, that's it. And I get confused. It's by the Tombola Theory, and it's in tribute to um, this chap, Tommy Tootle Truman, who I think you have to tell us all about. But just so uh, listeners know, it is a modern take on trad jazz. And for anyone whoever listens a little bit to this show they'll know I'm a, a trad uh, clarinetist more than I'm a tenor player so I'm just really really interested in how this record came about and indeed who Tommy was. So I I, I, I was touring quite a lot and played on quite a few records with Duke Special. Yeah nice. Yeah fantastic singer-songwriter and very much kind of vaudeville yeah really interesting songs not following a formula necessarily but but interesting and had radio success with certainly with the first couple of records and is still making amazing music now um but i i I worked with him a lot and i was playing the clarinet in that and i i realized that actually i think i always knew how much i love playing the clarinet but it's a, it's a bit more unusual, maybe, and and I and then I was I was thinking about the trad jazz and the 
Dixieland jazz and I realised that so much of my influence was that music really. Dad was very much into Louis Armstrong and the, the Hot Fives and Hot Sevens records are just phenomenal. Um, li- listening to them now, the the timing of of it of it all and the the vibe sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday. Other than a few sort of technical issues, and the the vibe has never been surpassed really. And then I love a lot of the Bix Beiderbecke records. He had quite an interesting instrumentation, which is why it sounds a bit different to others. He had the bass sax, but also a C melody sax, right? which is somewhere in, somewhere in between a tenor and an alto sax. So sat there in the middle of the, the group, it makes it sound slightly different. So it has, has its own sound. And I love that. And then there's the early recordings of Raymond Scott, who a lot of his music was used in the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Ah. And, and that's very quirky. A lot of it's written out, so there's not much improvising. But it's just phenomenally written and in, impeccably played. Yeah. I've been very influenced by early jazz, really. I was chatting with Paul Pilot, who's part of the Duke Special band, and he produced quite a few Duke Special records. And we we got chatting about, wouldn't it be fun to do a pop record, but influenced by trad jazz? I also set out to make the uncoolest record I could possibly make. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I thought it would be fun to to do that. So it would be tuba, banjo, clarinet, as as the core and then with with drums and some backing vocals and other horns and yeah the the idea came from there and it was it was so much fun to put together and then based it around the story of Tommy Tootle's Truman who was a school janitor mm. but played clarinet in his local trad band every every Wednesday night for for years and years but nobody has ever really heard of him it's 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 kind of it feels like a very personal memory to me but it was very influential because i was at a young age playing the clarinet and then seeing somebody up there so whereabouts in the world was this where where, where were you this was um down in bournemouth right south coast yes exactly there's an album of that coming out too which has also been sat on a hard drive for way too way too long cool so, yes, there's an album all, all ready to go. And assuming they'll ever, ever let us out and they ever let you in, i.e. to the UK, yeah. will you be sort of looking to tour these different things, you know? Possibly. Um, although I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure what the, the way forward will be. When I, when I tour in the future, it might be with smaller groups because it's, it's very difficult to get, A, to get everyone together and it's quite difficult financially to make it work when you're just doing one-offs. So um, of we did a... a a launch for the EP and a couple of gigs and we did a Made of Ale session for the Jamie Cullum's radio show. Yeah. It was so much fun. And what's interesting about about this, well, I mean, I say it's interesting. Um, <laughs> hey, both our listeners are going to be absolutely hooked on this. Carry on. Well, well, he, here's one for you both. <laughs> um, so I'm not really a singer, but I sing on the record um, because I, I love the fact that a lot of trad musicians sing and they're not particularly particularly good uh, well as in it doesn't really matter that's not the point it's the joy of it all exactly I learned a really interesting lesson on the launch night of the EP because I was singing I felt a connection with the audience that I'd never felt as a clarinet player or a sax player before because you can play a solo
solo and people can applaud it and and that's lovely you can see them sort of holding on to every word when you're singing see i I think you sell yourself short ben i think every time i strike up singing uh, the shake of araby i watch people leave they can't (laughs) wait for me to get back onto my instrument (laughs) but uh, well it's it's uh yeah it's just an interesting uh, observation yeah that i felt i felt more connected to the audience uh than usual so it was it was great and i was i was very nervous I i never get nervous but I was very nervous about that because there was a lot going on. There's, you know, the everyone learning the music to to do it, rehearsing the music, then me remembering words. The, my memory isn't the greatest. So yeah, there's all, all sorts of things that could have gone wrong. And I, I was thinking, if this, if the first number is terrible and my voice is awful and people hate it, I've got the whole of the rest of the gig that I've got to go through. <sighs> Uh, but it turned out it turned out to be a really fun night. So I would love to do more. It's just it's just it's just difficult to get it all together. A nine piece band all in the right place. And I very much like to use the same people for it all because it's the characters that I love. Now, talking about characters and, and whatnot, I just I looked through the credits uh, on your your website. And what have we got? We've got Radiohead. This is just a selection of Chris selection. So we've got Radiohead, Sting, Elton John. Uh, Wayne Wrights, Rufus and Martha, Johnny Mattis, Kylie, Marillion, thumbs up, uh, right through to Imelda May, Shirley Bassey, Gregory Porter, Harry Connick Jr., Jamie Cullen, who you've mentioned, Dee Dee Bridgewater, and of course, Shakin Stevens. <laughs> of course. Who haven't you worked with, Ben? And who do you <laughs> want to work with? Well, the, I, I, I often get asked who I'd want to work with. Yeah. And I'd, I've been incredibly lucky to work with ridiculous talent and wonderful people and I'm more excited about being able to let loose and do my own thing with my own projects I feel like my CV is full enough I would love to have played with David Bowie I would love to play with Stevie Wonder I did meet sorry for the clang I did meet Stevie Wonder in Buckingham Palace (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a double double clang I, I was introduced to him after the Queen's Jubilee concert I put a load of brass players together for for the house band so we got to play with a load of people yeah and um and so and I said to Stevie uh that felt weird actually saying those words um <laughs> I I said to him that there, there had been talk that we were going to get to play with him the the horn section yeah and so I said oh yeah we, I said we were we were tempted to just get up anyway and play with you and he said oh I wish you had he said listen anytime I'm playing ever again you you just come up and play wow and and well i mean yeah at that point i said have you have you got your diary with you i i, I can never i can never resist the the silly line but then yeah I, I mean i thought it through and if i turned up at one of his gigs and just said to the bouncers no no honestly he said he said i could <laughs> look, i've got my sax here he said i could just get up on stage i've never sort of kept him to that promise oh man well anything the Watford jazz junction can do to to oil that relationship just just let us know i mean we've been rejected by many a politician and a president oh i appreciate that <laughs> yeah leave it with us so <laughs> the great stevie wonder i would like your take on this set question how important or unimportant are musical genres discuss well this is this is interesting because i've spent my life ducking boxes and trying not to fit into boxes yeah as a performer and as a consumer i'm drawn towards the uncategorizable 
things or the things that span genres or that can fit into everything but as as somebody who releases music and as somebody who's very involved in projects where uh, we're talking to record labels you realize that things actually do have to be in some way categorizable uh, for them to be easily sold whether it it fits into jazz rock or anything like that i'm not so sure but you need to be able to sum the music up quite succinctly in order to sell it i think yeah, yeah, yeah. from just from what i've gathered so I'm not as genre shy as I as I used to be yeah. for a while because I always love jazz and now jazz is very popular again so it's not such a dirty word who would have thought i know imagine that but for a long time it was a dirty word so if you were at a party and somebody asked you what you did the moment you said the j word they'd, they'd be off to see who was <laughs> who else was in the room Correct. Um, so so I, in some ways I've, I've spent years apologizing for what i do I think it's important for people to make the music they want to make and feel strongly about. It, depending on what the reasons are, if, if the reasons are to become rich and famous, then you're probably wise to, to sort of put the business side of things first and then the music. But I, I was never, yeah, it was never that way around yeah. for me. That's just really interesting. Because I'm just passionate about music. And I've, I was, I've been offered quite a few things along the way that would have, would would have sidetracked me from the music but would have taken me in uh, areas where I might have made more money just could never quite do it yeah my, I, I mean I played with all sorts of people I'm very happy to play on all sorts of uh, records but and uh, all sorts of things but I think when my name is on the cover I, I need to be happy about who I am within that project yeah it's really, really interesting. And thank you, too, for being the first guest on the Watford Jazz Junction to use a seven-syllable word, uncategorizable. Who would have thought it? Wow. Right, that's enough, Su- that's enough wow. Susie Dent countdown action. Um, right, <laughs> uh, listeners, sorry, both listeners will be dying to know your top three albums of all time. What have we got on the turntable? Okay, there's, a, there's a, always a battle for these places. I, the one particularly jazz record that I could not do without, and it, it's an obvious choice, um, but it is Love Supreme by John Coltrane. Brilliant. Don't think that needs any qualification. Love Supreme. No, and I I once did a... Sorry, a little sidetrack. I once did a, a radio interview with the Mighty Boosh. Nice. Um, about jazz on, on Six Music. And we were all asked to bring in two records that that we love from jazz that would maybe get people into jazz that weren't in into jazz yeah and i picked the resolution from love supreme and i picked charles mingus a boogie stop shuffle right and they they were exactly the same two pieces that julian barrett unbelievable uh, out of the whole of jazz we both we picked the same two tracks oh, i love it i know which is mad and then then at number two at number two, I'm going to go for Ah Um by Charlie Mingus. Nice. Again, I don't think we've had that before yet. We've had lots of reference to it. So that's very exciting that it's made it into a top three. Uh-huh. Which, of course, leaves you a third spot vacant. Right. Well, at number one... Or is this number three? I like the amorphous nature. No one shall know apart from you, Ben. There's, there's no winners. So my last record of choice would be Native Dancer by Wayne Shorter. Um, it's an absolute cracker. It's it's with Milton Nascimento's uh, Brazilian music, and it's just amazing. It kind of defies 
categorization. Nice. It's the second time that Shorter, comma, Wayne has made it onto uh, a top three album list, but we've never had this album before. This is great. Oh, it's 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 a constant source of inspiration. Wayne, as a, a player, is the kind of one that still baffles me. All the others, you can transcribe what they're doing and work out, okay, so that's that note on that chord. And But Wayne, um, you listen to him playing on a Joni Mitchell record, and right. you think, if I played that note, people would say it's out of time and out of tune. But when he plays it, it's the best thing you've ever heard. It's very, it's very difficult to understand why it's so amazing, but um, he's got something incredibly special. Yeah, I fully agree. All right, my friend, I am now going to introduce you to our house band. Oh. So it used to be a septet, but nowadays, uh, to test the bank balance of the Watford Jazz Junction, we're an octet. Oh. Um, so up front right now, we have got Vi Red on alto, Mark Nightingale on trombone, and Dizzy Gillespie on cornet. Uh, and then we have got, in the back line, Duke Ellington, John Patitucci on bass, and newcomer Art Blakey. Plus, we've got Leanne Carroll on backup vocals and keys, and recent addition from James Pearson, we've got John Schofield on guitar. Now, I can repeat these musicians to you, Ben, but my gift, my thank you, on behalf of the good people of the Watford Jazz Junction, is to let you change up to one member of our house band and slot in someone new for us to listen to but of course there are losers in jazz which means someone else would have to come out of the band to make way because we are not becoming a non-et <laughs> <laughs> okay so who would you like to change and why oh my goodness um well that's that's an absolute stellar lineup i mean if if there's any reason it's just to give somebody a bit of a break because right you know you can't keep playing the whole night um, like, that's quite an eclectic band, um, I have to say, um, but absolutely phenomenal. I, I would, I would, I don't know what I would do to hear it live, because it would be amazing. I can't, you can't, you can't touch Dizzy. Yeah, he, uh, the the fun in in his playing is amazing. So that means you can have a fiddle still with Vi or Mark Nightingale, or are they set as well? No, uh, Mark's got to stay there because. Um, he's such a phenomenal musician and yep. the nicest guy in the world and I, I've in, I've enjoyed playing in his band many times and uh, he's a constant source of inspiration Duke Ellington is one of my all time favourite musicians uh, his music again defies uh, categories but but also still sounds so hip now yeah yeah don't forget he is desperate for a pee. Yeah, that's true. That is very <laughs> uh, true. Right, come on now, my friend. Oh, We're going to oh. push you. Okay. Go for uh, it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Art Blakey uh, a well-earned break. And, nice. And put Brian Blade on drums. Brian Blade is back in the band. Oh, was he in it already? To, yeah, he's going to hook back up with Patitucci. This is legendary. Yeah. This is the stuff of Wayne Shorter fans. Nice, Ben. Nice. Now, yeah, well, he's he just, he, again, he defies genre. He'll play with Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, uh, Wayne Shorter, Chick Corea, Iron and Wine. I, I've I got a record recently of theirs and he's on it. Yeah, and I love I love people like that. And, and I've seen him a few times with the Wayne Shorter Quartet. And uh, although I'm transfixed on Wayne, I also am transfixed on him just the groove and the feel and it's it's just pure music 
And as as is Art Blakey. Well, he's yesterday's news. He's out, man. Blades yeah. in. <laughs> Sorry, Art. I feel really bad. What have you made me do? <laughs> this stuff happens. There are casualties. What can you say? Oh. Ben uh, Castle, for the record, thinks there are better drummers in the world than Art Blakey, who he thinks <laughs> only joking. So listen, thank you so much for being with us today, Ben. You've been awesome. And I think we'll try and get you back for the Watford Jazz Junction Christmas special at the end of the year for a bit of oh, yeah. a bit of musical hootenanny and, and chatter. So Amazing. if you've liked what you've listened to today, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any valuable episodes of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. If you want to know more about us, check out our website at watfordjazzjunction.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. And by new introduction, you can even email us at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com where you can send any feedback so long as it's nice and indeed suggestions for people you might like to hear here on this show. Uh, Next up, we're in conversation with the wonderful guitarist and singer Jelly Cleaver. And it just leaves me to say, don't forget to keep your ears fresh and always look to connect with something new. So it's goodbye, lovely listener. It's goodbye to the lovely Ben. Goodbye, Chris. Thank you very much. And it's goodbye from me. Bye. Bye.